is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. I'm really delighted to welcome to the show a jockey who is now retired but had up to the point of retirement had over a thousand winners and I'm talking about none other than Andrew Thornton. Right, well good morning Andrew, thank you very much for joining us on the show, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, before we get started though, I want to just ask you, what did you make of the uh, the big showdown at Ascot on Saturday? I thought it was, it lived up to the billing. Yeah. Um, you know, v- very few things do in life. You know, it's often an anticlimax, but I'm pleased to say this pr- probably exceeded all the hype. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just delivered in spades. It was a, a true run race. Um, you know, there was the, the odd Umanau and Shishkin pecked on landing. I think it was back at the third fence down the hill, yeah. which it wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. It was just the horse balancing himself and pitching, but... I suppose when the crowd see it and the commentator emphasises it, there's the big ooh and the big ah, yeah. and uh, it adds to the excitement. Yeah. And it was it was just a it was a good clean fight and a brilliant horse race. Do you see um, the? I'm, I'm going to call him the Irish horse because I can't pronounce the name. Emergamine. Um, yeah, Emergamine. Do you see? Uh, do you see him turning it around at all in the, in the next time? That, I suppose it'll be next time at Cheltenham now. Yeah, I suppose yeah, I, I, I don't, um, but I, I think it could be just as tight because, yeah. you know, yeah, that was his first run of the season. Yeah. Uh, Shishkin had had a run under his belt. I was, you know, Willie Mullins didn't make any excuses that it was his first run of the season and he didn't prove for it. Yeah. I think he felt he had him pretty much where he wanted him. But, you know, both horses aren't computers. They've got to turn up healthy and well on the day. Yeah. And if 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 one of them you know we, we've seen it plenty of times before haven't we yeah that horses sometimes you take them there thinking they're 100 percent, but um they've got to perform at their best at cheltenham in that if you are one or two percent below your best you'll get found out so yeah, yeah. you just hope they get there healthy and well and you know it's a different track different experience but shishkin does have a good record around cheltenham so yeah. and ergamine we've yet to see him round there so in that respect it's a it's an it's another home game for Shishkin. Yeah. I must admit though I was surprised to see Shishkin, you know, so far back when it came to the running. I, I you know, I mean I was impressed with the way 
he made up the ground and, and won the race, but I was surprised that he had to do that. So I was expecting him to be in the lead anyway at that point. I think what he, he isn't, he's not a sprinter sacker and an Altiar. He's mm. not that quick. And even at home, Nico de Bonville will tell you, he's, he doesn't burn up the gallops. He's not a flashy workhorse. Yeah. He's, a, he's a horse who's got the ability to win over two miles. But in my book, he'd have the, he'd have the ability to stay three. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Now I'll even go past two and a half. He's a he's a th- real good staying two miler. Whenever you watch his races, his best part of the race it's not at the beginning, it's not in the middle. He finishes his races off exceptionally well, and he only kicks into gear after about a mile and six furlongs. Yeah. So yeah. in that respect, he's a he's not your typical two miler, but he's just got so much ability that you can still win over that trip. I think personally. <laughs> he'd be better over further but as Nicky Henderson would tell you there's no point going any further if you have the ability to win over the minimum trip no quite absolutely absolutely no well it was a very exciting day that's for sure as racing and uh, I'm you know as you say I'm pretty sure that everybody was really uh, delighted with the end result of the, of the race itself so it was um, yeah it was a good it was a good spectacle that's for sure but now let's talk about Andrew Thornton um and I really want to go back, you know, right almost to sort of day one, really, Andrew. Um, <laughs> you were born on the 28th of October 1972 in Cleveland, up north. Um, That's are you, right. Are you still based up there? Not quite as far north as that. Um, I was born in North Tees Hospital, Stockton. And I live probably about 40 miles from there now. Live just outside Ripon. All right. Um, okay, yeah. So, located close to the A1, half a mile off the A1, which is uh, imperative for, for getting around the country. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yes, but still a northern lad, you know, yeah. spent, you know, my early days up north, travelled down south for 20-odd years, 25 years, and then they decided that uh come back to my roots. So, um Let's go back to to 1972. When did you first actually get on a horse? And you know, what what are your first memories of it? Oh, my first memories. My first memories of getting on a horse. I had a little Shetland pony called Tiger, yeah. and um, he was a right little so and so. Looking back, he was a little so and so. I used to love him a bit, yeah. but he was um, he was a nasty little so and so. He chased the pet lambs round. He, <laughs> He nibbled. He, ni- he nibbled a few ears. Yeah. He mm, put one in a water trough. He he wasn't the nicest person, but he, you know, I you know, he was the type of little pony that I can remember walking down. We had a driveway at home. I remember walking down it one day, and he whipped round and spun back up and went the, went back towards the stable. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, the stable was when he came into the the yard at home was at a ninety degree angle. So he came into the yard at what I recollect as a gallop. It was probably more like a not much faster than the common canter. But mm. he whipped left-handed, turned over on the concrete. I went straight on, <laughs> d- got up, dusted myself down, and didn't think anything more of it. Yeah. Uh, which was probably, looking back, you know, if, if, that, if I'd got hurt from that, it might have left a scar in memory. Yeah. But I didn't, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and hence the reason probably went on to do what I what I've done, become a jump jockey. Yeah. But he was a, he was a little devil because you'd sit on him and he'd whip round, he'd drop you, he'd put you on the floor, 
remembers the time when I'd, we had, well, my now wife Yvonne and her sister. We were only seven and eight years old at the time, and we had three of three of us were on his back, and he set off across the field. He booked the booked the one at the back off. He booked the one in the middle off, and then he booked the one at the front off. So he was that kind of pony. But I suppose when I tell you that sort of thing, you you wouldn't blame him really, would you? Well, I, no, I, I think not. <laughs> <laughs> I think not. Um, so you know, going back then. You know, when did you did you sort of join pony clubs and stuff like that, or did you do point to points? How did you get yep. to the point where you were a national hunt jockey? Yeah, the joined pony club, uh, joined the Herworth Pony Club. Who, you know, there's quite a lot of jockeys have been through that pony club in the past. Paul Dennis, Chris Dennis, Jeff Harker, um, to name but three, and you know, quite a lot of show jumpers and eventers have been through there. Nicola Tweddle, yeah. Nicola Wilson. Who we now is with, with, with you know that sort of time, um, so it was all it was all competitive. It was very competitive. So started the pony club, and you know you had the pony club games, and we went uh, you know hunting. Um, hunting was a great breeding ground for I think for, for for from a riding perspective, just jumping the fences, and you know when you were out there, it was every person for themselves, and I had a little good little. I progressed from the, the Shetland to a 12-2 pony called Flicker yeah. and you wanted to be up the front um, jumping the fences before they got knocked down mm. so it was always a bit of a, a ruck and a scrum to get up the front end yeah. and so you get up the front end and you get your nose in and you know it was never a perfect take off or landing so from that perspective it, it learnt you a lot about balance yeah. um, you know jumping post and rails and hedges off undulations and things like that. And I can remember jumping my first five bar gate on a 12-2 pony. Yes. And uh, the uh, the field master was Reg Dennis. Um, it was a distant relation of my wife, but didn't know that then. But mm. he was a lovely, lovely chap. And there was only the two of us. We'd, got, we'd gone about over seven or eight different obstacles out hunting out, out when we were out. And I was I was left with him. Yeah, and we got to this four or five bar gate, and he said to me, "Andrew, are, are we going to open it or jump it?" And I said, "We're going to jump it." And he said, "It's fifty-two pounds if you break it." <laughs> and I said, "Ah, oh, Dad'll pay for that." <laughs> Good old Dad. Anyway, he said, "Well, tuck in behind me, and we'll pop over it." And my twelve-two pony, straight in behind, straight over a five bar gate, and away we went. And it's, I think it's recollections like that, they stick in your mind forever. Yeah. And, but it's also what, um, things like that, what, what make, you know, you'll, you, I think if you spoke to so many jockeys, they'd probably tell you the same. Time for a musical interlude now, and we're going to kick off with Adele and Easy On Me. Can't bring myself to swim when I am drunk. 
first of our musical interludes and it was Adele and Easy On Me. Okay. Brilliant. Well, Andrew, um, okay, so when did you first um, get involved in the national hunt scene and did you do point to points? No, I didn't do point to points. Um, I started with Arthur Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, I used to go to Arthur's, the great WAs, as I call him, never call him Arthur, but the great WAs. I used to go there for my holidays, week yeah. at Christmas week at Easter. I had my first week there when I was 14. Yeah. Then went to Easter and then again at Christmas again. Uh, and I left school when I was 16. And um, I, I just worked for him for 18 months. And well, after about a year, I said to him, could I uh, get my point-to-point license out? And he said to me, young and we'll get you, we'll get you, Amateur license out. I don't want you riding in point to point. Yeah. I said, Why is that? He said, Well, the owners want to ride the good ones and they want you to ride the bad ones. Yeah. And I said, mm, Okay then. I, and, you know, what he said was was gospel. Yeah. So I said, Fair enough. So he got my amateur license out about, oh, after 15 months. And then I had my first ride uh, up, at, uh, up at Kelso. 
Um, and uh, he had two in the race, and I was on so I was on the second string. Kenny Johnson, who was champion amateur, was on the first string. And uh, I can always remember my orders been, you know, do the best you can, um, and and see how you go. Yeah. So and you know mine was a twenty-five to one chance, so I give mine a flick round the tail, uh, just to get him about his job. He was starting to tail himself off, halfway down the back at Kelso, and he he picked up. Yeah, crikey, he set off like a rocket, and uh, I passed the other one at the second last, and there was three of us up upsides at the last. Noel Wilson, uh, another a good friend of mine, um, I think possibly Bob Hodge. Who spent about twenty five years with Mary Reevely and down with, down with uh, David Pipe, yeah. and sa- sadly my my horse went about seventy five yards before the line, and he fractured a hind leg, oh. and um, sadly you know that w- that was him, and it, it was it was it was almost the perfect start, yeah. but a touch of harsh reality what can happen, yeah, yeah. Um, when there were no obstacles involved. As as you just said, one of those tragic things. Not not the best way to start your your no. professional riding career to end up like that. That's for sure. No, but it's you know, it you, you pick yourself up, you dust dust yourself down. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a harsh reality. What can happen? But as you know, I'm I'm from farming. I'm a farmer's son. Yeah, and these things happen. So whilst you were at uh, W.A. Stevenson's, um, was that around the time when Graham Bradley was around? I've just finished reading his book, and he, I know he rode for uh, Stevenson. That was, Brad had gone from there to uh, Michael Dickinson's. All right, yeah. So yeah. I, I was after the, after Brad. I was there when Chris Grant was stable jockey. Alan, Alan Merrigan, who sadly um, passed away in a terrible car accident up at sea houses um who taught me an awful lot i i owe alan an awful lot he was six foot two yeah um and uh he was he'd always have a a milky coffee and three sugars on him on a on a on a, on a, on a with a flask in the morning <laughs> and he he rode long like you know i rode long like he did yeah and you know he always he was he was a great horseman and uh, he taught me an awful lot. But th- th- at that time, there was I could I could probably name Adrian Costello, Tommy White, Joe Gorman, Noel Wilson, John Supple, Andrew Larnick, um, Sean O'Donovan, um, Tommy White. There was there would be I don't know eight or nine people, lads with licenses yeah. who worked in the yard, which is unheard of now. Yeah, quite. Um, so you know, it was it was a great grounding, yeah. and you learn an awful lot. And, and who else did you uh, did you ride for then, um, Andrew? Well, at that time, WA didn't. He used to, I, I, you know, you didn't have an agent. Or my first <laughs> uh, year, I had three rides in my first season. They were all for WA, and then my second season, uh, I had ten winners from thirty-four rides, and I think thirty-two of them were for WA. Right. Uh, a couple of them for out, for outside trainers, um, and and then after that, the following year, I uh, there was champion amateur in ninety two ninety three. W A passed away in ninety two in December. Yeah. At which stage I'd had thirteen winners from forty six rides, 
And at that stage, you know, he sadly passed away um, through illness. The yard got basically, there was a big dispersal sale. 120 horses went to the sales. Mm. And from a personal perspective, I'm now thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. You know, my career's just starting to pick up and take off. Uh, where, 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 where am I going to go next? So, um, you know, it was a big changing point in my career. Mm-hmm. So where did you go next? So I went during that, you know, that season. So um, I'm halfway through. I'm leading the amateur championship with Tom Jenks, about three or four winners behind. Um, and I, who was working for John Edwards, I, Jonathan Powell, a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, well, it wasn't my, my girlfriend, Jill Richardson at the time. We put a list together of who we would approach to go and maybe see if I could go and be their conditional. Yeah. Because I was looking that a little bit further ahead. And um, there was about half a dozen trainers put on the list from, you know, Martin Pipe to Captain Tim Forster, Kim Bailey, uh, the likes of Mary Reevely. So, you know, but mm. I thought the, the the list up north, not the north looked as if it was sewn up because uh, they were all taken. So I approached Kim Burley. Yeah. Because uh, I'd ridden for Charlie Edgerton at the time, who right. was very close to Lambourne. He was Chadleworth. So I approached, approached Kim Burley. I went and had a meeting with them about in the say April, May time. Yeah. And uh, nothing was promised. Went and had a meeting, and it was decided that I was going to go down there uh, with nothing promised because there was Grant Bazin, there was other conditions at Kim's, uh, so I'd start down there in the in the summertime. And luckily for me, I ended up as being champion amateur uh, that previous season, and so I, I headed down headed down. The Big South. Time for some more music, and this time it's Baggy Trousers and Madness. Oh, what fun we had, but did it really turn out bad? All I learned at school was how to bend up, break the rule. Oh, what fun we had, but at that time it seemed so bad. 
Andrew's obviously in the buggy trousers because he loves madness. So you ended up down in the big south, as you call it. We're all a bit mm. uh, dodgy people down this part of the world, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, so, so you you were with Kim Bailey then, basically, were you at that point? Yeah. Well, we had the meeting in the Ibex, which, ironically enough, at that time was owned by the great Colin, Colin Brown. Brown. Indeed, it was. Yeah. That's right. That was that was where the meeting took place. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I, I think I rode out, started riding out for, or worked for Kim, yeah. employed by Kim, and uh, rode out for Charlie Edgerton once a week. And by the first season, it started okay. I, I, I think I ended up with, I ended up with 18 winners the first year, mm. um, which wasn't, you know, it didn't set the world alight. Um, got a, f- a few, few chances, got some new contacts. But just at the end of that first season, I brought my collarbone. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd had an interrupted campaign. I think I brought my collarbone about five times in that year. Yeah. And I had a an operation. It was on the 4th of May I broke it at Ludlow for the, the fifth time in that season. So it was basically in bits. Mm-hmm. And Mike Foy, I went to see a chap called Mike Foy, who has ended up being a, a, a very good friend and a, and a big help. He ended up taking the collarbone out. And so I've only got a third of my collarbone, right collarbone, left in. Oh, right. And uh, I think Luke Harvey and Mick Fitzgerald had, had the same operation. Yeah. Pete and Ivan. <laughs> but luckily at that stage, there was no summer racing. So right. I was able to give it the full time. I think I had the best part of three months off, came back in the August time, started back. But sadly for me, my season just, I started riding too short. I felt like I had to try and fit in yeah. and look stylish, yeah. as a lot of the southern jockeys at that time did. Norman Williamson, Jamie Osborne, Richard Dunwoody. You know, mm. you look at those guys and they were like watching poetry in motion. Yeah. And my my technique didn't really fit that. So I, tr- I tried pulling my irons up and consequently kept falling off a few horses. I was riding too short. Um in the, from a jockey's perspective, falling off wasn't a very good thing. Unseated rider, you see, you are. It doesn't yeah. look good. No, no, and it happened just before Christmas time. Kim Bailey pulled me in the office, and he said, uh, "Andrew, we need to have a chat." I'm thinking, "Oh, what's he going to say to me?" He yeah. said, "I think it's, I think it's probably best we uh, party company." Right. And you went and looked for another job because you know you're not, you're not. You're coming off horses. You're not riding particularly well. I think, you know, I can't keep putting you up. And at that stage, I just turned around to Kim and said, um, fair enough. Um, I said, it's not a great time of year to be trying to look for another job because, you know, everything's taken and what have you. Yeah. Um, I said, how, how would it suit you if I continued to work for you? Because I need a wage. But you allow me allow me three mornings off a week and, you know, I can ride out, ride out for you first thing and then go and ride for other people Yeah. and try and improve that way. And I'll go and see Yogi Breisner. And I said, I will change your mind. And he, he, he looked at me aghast. <laughs> and, and I think he was that taken oh. aback. He just agreed to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just agreed to it. Yeah. And said, fair enough. That's grand. I said, I will change your mind. I said, I won't ask you. I said, I'll just let you watch me 
and you'll put me back up. So how tall are you then, uh, Andrew? Five foot ten. Oh, so you're not that tall, are you? Not, you know. Oh, I mean... At that stage, I was probably quite tall for a jockey because we're talking twenty six or seven years ago now. Yeah. At that stage, I was quite tall for a jockey. Now I'm not. No. You know, you see Brendan Powell, you see. Oh crikey! Um, you can you can rattle off a whole Peter, horse. Peter Scudamore one springs to mind, and he was quite tall, wasn't he? <coughs> he was about five eight. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it was uh, it was it, anyway. It was it was a stage. It was a, a huge crossroads in my career. But off the back of it, I was proactive. Mm. I went and saw Yogi Breisner, and he got me to drop my irons back down. Uh, and my, my dad was telling me and my girlfriend at the time, Jill, was telling me, you know, you need to go back to your, your old style, basically. It worked in the past yeah. and you've tried to change it. So Yogi got me on a lunge rein with a, with a horse and he said, put your irons where, you, where you're riding now. So I put them up to where I was riding now. And he, and he, and he said, right, let go of the reins. And he put me on a lunge rein, which makes you, basically the horse goes round him yeah. on a lunge line. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I did half a circuit and I fell off. So he said, right, get back on. Now put them to where you used to ride. So I dropped them down about four and I didn't fall off. And he said, right, we're going to put some fences up now and I'm going to get you to go around with no reins, just on the lunge line and just use your legs. And I didn't come off. And we put the fences up higher and higher and I didn't come off. And uh, he said, right, that's where your centre of gravity is. That's where you're comfortable. And so I think three days later, I went up to Musselburgh for Nick Alexander, who had horses and he used to have a, a private trainer then called Jim Barkley. Because yeah. that's before Nick got a licence. And I rode, I rode two horses for him at Musselburgh just before Christmas. I think it was about the 21st of December. And uh, I won on the both of them, Marco Pierre. I'll never forget it, Marco Pierre and Carden Den. And that moved me from four winners to six winners before Christmas. And then on Boxing Day, I rode one for Mick Shannon called Clifton Set. And I beat Richard Dunwoody on Channel 4 a length and a half. And from that moment onwards, I owe a lot to Mick Shannon. Yeah. From that moment onwards... Um, my career went on an upward curve and I ended up with 26 winners at the end of that season and I rode winners for Captain Tim Forster I rode winners for Tony Newcomb I rode winners for Patrick Chamins I rode winners for Jim Barkley stroke Nick Alexander and Kim Bailey put me up and I ended up riding King's Fountain at the end of that season right. and Slevenal missed at Ludlow and I changed Kim's mind and, as you said, uh, you would. and I said, as I said, I would. It took about three months for him to put me back on, yeah. but he allowed me to go out and ride for other, ride out for other people. Never said no, you can't. I'm busy. You need to be here. He gave me the opportunity to go and do my own thing. And looking back, I got an awful lot of contacts during that time that I may not have got before. Yeah, um, Nick Gaisley, Lavinia Taylor. A lot of different trainers, which, you know, 
to end up with 26 winners at the end of that season, um, which, you know, when I'd had just six before Christmas, ended up being what I'd call a very good season. Absolutely. And then, and then it went from there. The following year, I ended up with 50 winners. And I had my first Cheltenham Festival winner for Captain Tim Foster um, on, on Mamur. And that was, you know, big, big help. Carl Llewellyn was a big help to me. You know, he got me into Captain Tim Foster's. He got me into Nick Gaisley's. Um And that was the thing. The senior jockeys were, were very much for helping you out. And yeah. that's what I'd like to think that I've tried to pass on through through my career because you need you need help as a youngster and oh, you yeah, you do, yeah. and you don't need to think of them as a as a threat no. to your to you you know um and i, I get you know you one thing it get, get me was you that you don't you don't tread on people's toes yeah. you tr- you try and work off the back of people mm. and dave roberts who's been my agent from day one when i moved south um, was also instrumental on getting me into yards, um, getting me on horses that, like French Holly, that you know, catapulted my career to the next stage. More music now, and this time we've got Bat Out of Hell and Meatloaf.
out of hell and meatloaf who we sadly lost this week to covid looking at your um your wikipedia page which is i'm getting all my information from uh you did eventually end up down in in well fairly close to my neck of the woods at robert oldner's that's right i did at Stur- uh, newton is that a sturminston newton no it well nor the little uh chicane when you come into sturminston newton yeah <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, that's not that's not that far from us. I mean, we're we're I'm near well the other side of Yeovil, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's only about I suppose it's about twenty twenty five miles away, something like that, I guess. But um, no, I'd spend a lot of time heading through Yeovil on the way down to uh, Exeter from Robert Alders. Yeah, yeah, or Taunton, I suppose as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah Taunton, Exeter, Newton Abbott. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and then looking at looking at some of the horses that you've. Uh, achieved success on i mean three cheltenham winners for a start uh 1966 and 1998 you had mamore as you said french holly cool dawn in the cheltenham gold cup which that in itself to be a gold cup winner must have been a big thrill for you it was and there was a story about how i got in on him in the first place because he used to be ridden by dido harding yeah. now the honorable dido harding yeah uh she used to ride him in uh hunter chases and point to points and he went from that field two under rules and I'd, I'd been riding for Robert for probably about oh, nine months to a year yeah and uh, he uh, he had his he was down to run at Ascot I think Dido had ridden him in his first race of the season it hadn't worked out and Robert had decided that he would basically told the owner that he's too good for you to ride we need to get we need to get a professional on him in yeah. a roundabout, and when I say in a roundabout sort of way, Robert wouldn't have gone roundabout. That's exactly what he told Dido. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she, been the person she is, is just straight down the line and said, 
okay, who are we going to get? Yeah. And Robert had suggested that uh, I, I ride him. And I remember he had 10 stone at Ascot, which was pretty late for me. And Dave Roberts said to me, look, I think you should, if you can, you need to do the weight on this horse because he's um, he's finished second at the Cheltenham Fox Hunters 18 months earlier behind Elegant Lord and Ender Bulger. And he's uh, he's a good horse. And I think he, you know, he'd be worth riding. Yeah. I said, well, I can do, I'll definitely do 10 too. Um, but I don't know whether I can do 10 stone. And Robert said to me, or said to my agent, well, as long as he does 10 two, he can ride it. Anyway, I did 10 two and I did Ascot, bounced it out the gate, went from the front, and everything was going absolutely smoothly till A. Thornton, what going to the last, changed his mind about three times whether he should go long, short, because he had the race in the bag. Yeah. And I nearly put the horse on the floor. Oh, dear. And he, the horse made a miraculous recovery. Yeah. And he was corkscrewed sideways coming over the fence. And luckily, he kept in a straight line. My saddle didn't slip. And I managed to cling on, basically. He won by about three lengths. Yeah. But it it was in all the... After the race, I think Peter Scudamore and Richard Pittman commented commented on the ride and what a great recovery and how did he sit with it. It was in... At that stage, it was in all the Sunday newspapers. Yeah. Um, what a fantastic recovery. Miracle Thornton keeps partnership intact. And what what could quite easily have been the worst day of my career, you know, through luck, through Yogi getting to put my irons back down to where they should be. Um, it ended up and transpired to be the best day of my career because it, it put me in the headlines. It was two days. It was two days after my grandmother, who I was very close to, passed away. And I look back now and think that she was probably looking down on me. You know, yeah. it was just fate. Because um, she she never really seen me ride a big winner. Mm, well, you and I, much I, bigger I, than that. You, and you did it anyway. That was that was on the thirtieth of I think it was the thirtieth or the thirty first of October. Yeah. Because um, she passed away two days earlier, and then I rode him to win another three races at Ascot, uh, and then I rode him in the Gold Cup, and you know, mm. he went and won the Gold Cup, making all the running, and you know, the best day of my life by a country mile, and also getting getting presented by the uh, the Queen Mother. It was the last time she presented the Gold Cup oh, right. in 1998, yeah. and a, a conversation I will never forget with her. Yeah, no, very special, I'm sure. But looking at looking at the, you know, so that that was a, you know, the the epitome, I suppose, the Gold Cup at Cheltenham. But but I mean, it wasn't just that, was it? I mean, looking at some of these others here, you won the Scottish Grand National, you won the Welsh Grand National. Well, you know, Pity did win the English one as well, but <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, that's two, you know, pretty notable races. Um, the Hennessy Gold Cup, the Racing Post Chase. I mean, you know, you, you've got a pretty uh, a pretty impressive CV with all these horses that you've won on. Um, you know, looking back, you must think, well, yeah, I didn't do too bad for myself. 
I, I do, and then uh, you know, Seymour Businesses was, was at that time as well. He was yeah. he was he won the King George. King George, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, your Jim John was in the Scottish Nationals for living. Your Taylor, they were permit holders as well. Yeah. Happened to have a good horse, and he won the Hennessy. Um, you know, Mick at a winning the Welsh National. That was the most emotional success because Robert Olner had his terrible car accident six weeks earlier. And that's the one that meant probably more than any other race. Mm. Because, you know, Robert was in a, he was in, well, at that stage, he was, uh, he was in intensive care. Yeah, uh, and he was in it in intensive care for a hundred and one days. Now that people don't spend that long in intensive care, you're you're in mm. it for a week, two weeks, three weeks max. Yeah, you know he right. was there for a hundred and one days, and that was halfway through that. And it's things like that that I look back on and think, well, that that some winners like that mean so much. And I went to see him after I'd won the race, and you know was trying to lip read him and. Yeah. I would just have a chat with him. Um, you know, that's that's emotion. Mm. It was it was just yeah. something was meant to be, and you know, the horse got up in the dying strides to literally win, and and he beat um, Halcon Genelada, and the people who own Halcon Genelada there were Ian and Kim Payne, who I'm very good friends with now because they had Dawson City with Polly Gundry, mm-hmm. and I rode him several times and we we still laugh and joke about the Welsh National um, but it's you know memories like that and Super Tactics he was another fantastic horse who won a race and post chase Simon for Mercy Rymel you know he was travelling very well in a, a National and fell five from home when he looked like he might go and win it um, Buckhouse Boy for riding a horse like that for the, the Duke David Nicholson yeah and you know you think of the likes of Sunray who won a, a grade one for Evan Williams and look where Evan Williams is now fantastic yeah. trainer and you know a lot of great great memories that you know nobody can take away so, so you got to 2018 and you decided to retire then um, was it just you know you were getting too old for it or what I mean was it <laughs> injuries what, what was the reason uh, age father time you know, yeah. I was I was forty five. Yeah. You know, that was when when I first set out. If you got to thirty five, you'd had a very good career riding wise. Yeah. You know, the physios and the nutrition. If it wasn't for race course physios, I wouldn't have lasted beyond probably thirty eight. Yeah. I'd say I had a bad shoulder injury at uh, at Kempton, and it took me seven and a half months to come back from. Yeah. I'd I'd have never I'd have never got back without fit the the aid of physios. Um, I I did my cruciate ligament when I came off my, f- you know, when I dismounted my thousandth winner yeah. at Wincanton in 2016. It was careless, and, of it, wasn't it? Uh, it, it, it was careless. <laughs> um, but it, looking back, it it prolonged my career by about 15 months <laughs> because, um, you know, I was never going to retire on a thousand because, as I said mm. to my wife Yvonne, how can you retire on your how can you retire on your your one of your best moments in your career, and then you try and then you make it your what I would class as my worst moment? Yeah, you know, to try and try, to do something like that was never going to happen. So, so um, how many winners did you actually ride in the end? Well, the incentive to to go on a bit longer was I my my great pal Peter Niven, 
I'd ridden a thousand and four. Right. And I wanted to beat that. Yeah. Purely selfish point of view from my point of view, but just to say that I'd beaten him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, th- I retired in a thousand and seven. Right. So, right. you know, double oh seven. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Double oh seven. And, uh, um... More music now, and this time it's Coldplay and Viva La Vida.
Coldplay there and Viva La Vida. 2007, um, you know, did you then have this sort of stark moment of time and sat there thinking, Christ, what am I going to do now? Well, at that time it was on 2006 yeah. when that moment came. Yeah. It was getting to the stage where um, it was so back end of May and... You know, rides were getting starting to get thin. They were th getting thin on the ground. Yeah. And uh, I thought, do I do I really want to go another summer where you've got six weeks off or five weeks off, and then you've got to get fit again? Yeah. And uh, it just crossed me. I just thought, do you know what? I think the time's right. Yeah. And it was literally uh, seven days before my final final ride. I, w I literally woke up in the morning. I was, you know, woke up in the middle of the night. And just thought, you know what? I'm ready for, I'm ready for the next chapter in my career. I'm ready to close this one. And it yeah. was, you know. And I literally, in the middle of the night, I got out of bed, I checked the racing calendar to see where racing was. And from a personal pers perspective, I I just wanted to have all my mates around when I did it. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been around a long time, and I'd had a look through, and it was a case of well. I wanted one meeting on. I didn't want people racing off to another night meeting and couldn't be around. And so I picked Utoxida. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, it's middle of the country. I've done quite a bit of work for Utoxida over the years. And people can travel from north and south. There's no evening racing. It's the only meeting. It's the only jump meeting on in the afternoon. Uh, that's where I want to do it. So I went from there and rang Seamus Mullins. And uh, it was I was riding, most of my rides were for, and I, it was literally rang him at seven o'clock in the morning. Yvonne hadn't even woken up, um, <laughs> so she wasn't the first one to find out. It was Seamus, uh, and I said, time's come, Seamus, I'm going to call time. And all he said to me was, well, it was going to happen sooner or later. Mm, well. He says, And he just said to me, where do you want to do it? I said, well, there's a meeting at New Toxin next week. I said, there might be a few races that fit my horses that I ride. Um, and he had a look through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. We could run a Mia in that. We can run Manhattan Boy in that. So I might find one for you, another one or two. Uh, um, and that was that. So I rang Dave Roberts, my agent, and, and told him the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he was like, well, you know when the time's right. I said, well, you know, it's been it's been on the horizon for about the last seven or eight years. <laughs> Just didn't know when to, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'd, I'd used the excuse for seven or eight years. I want to get to a thousand winners, so I got to a thousand winners, and then it's a case of well, I've uh, I've ticked that milestone off, and you know you're going to have to go out at some stage. So yeah. that was just great. It was it was. I can honestly s sit back, AD, and say, do you know what? It was one of my most enjoyable days racing, was even it? though it was my last. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know how many people can do that, but it genuinely was the right time. 
time for our final musical interlude, and this time it's Annie Lennox and Walking on Broken Glass.
and he likes there walking on broken glass so that 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 more or less takes us to the present day what what are you doing now well i'm i'm lucky that i've what even sort of the back end of my career for the last four or five years i was i was working in the media i yeah. was i able to do some work for five live over the cheltenham festival yeah um i was doing little bits for little bits and bobs for sky and I did work for I worked for William Hill even when I was continuing to ride one because I wasn't that busy at the, the end, just analysing races and previewing races. Yeah. So continue to do that now, and I've got a, a real good balance of work. You know, self-employed, which I've been all my life. Yeah, work do work for Utoxida Racecourse still, and you know, Cheltenham Festival comes up and we're busy previewing and looking after clients in restaurants and yeah yeah the fact the fact that you can say you've ridden a thousand winners and you've won a gold cup yeah it it's um it's something that people enjoy listening to and i, I still enjoy talking about it because it's it's just been a, a memorable career and you know I, yeah there's a so i, I paint the, the the fluffy side of it Gosh, there was a lot of bumps in the road. You know, twenty six broke with broken bones. Yeah, during yeah. that career, bumps and downs and time off and things that are difficult. And it's, you know, I think people nowadays would call it, you know, the, the mental health side. Yeah, quite. Person, personally, I think it's just part of life that you have bumps in the road and you know things aren't easy. Life's not easy. No, and no. it's it is difficult, but it's it's challenges that you you deal with and you, you get on with. Yeah. That's how yeah. I've always been brought up. You know, you got challenges, you get on with them. I think I saw you on ITV racing as well. Did a little bit for ITV. Yes. I've got, um, I've got a, uh, I get two or three days a year. Thoroughly enjoy it. Um, yeah. I'm doing the, I think it's the Saturday after the Cheltenham festival, uh, with the Utoxida Midlands Grand National thrown in. That's been sort of my, my staple diet. Pry TV over the years, and uh, I get the odd day here and there, but I thoroughly enjoy it. And um, you know, you make the most of what you've got. You're, you're trying to forge a new career mm. after a one. It's you know, I'm I'm three 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 and a half years into my new career, and uh, I'm still feel that I'm I'm le- I'm certainly learning an awful lot about it. Uh, and where do you see the future now, Andrew? Uh, the future's today, really. The future, the way I see it, is I'm not, I'm not trying to... I, I've got a, a new career, but I'm not trying to break eggs with sticks, as in, as from the riding perspective, it was all about racing, yeah. all about riding. And I'd I, I put it, categorise it, it was all about me. Yeah. Uh, because it, it is a self, it's a selfish lifestyle, but you've got to be, I think, to be a successful sportsman. I think you've got, you you have to put yourself first. You forego events of enjoying yourself, going to twenty first, going to fortieths, going to weddings. Yeah, you you have to when you've got a, a wife or a partner, they've got to be very understanding oh, because absolutely. you can't take days off. You can't uh, you can't do things like that. Whereas now, I can take days off. Yeah. Harry, my son, uh, is seven and a half, and he comes first. Yeah. Um, I will take days off and make sure that I, I was, John Inverdale gave me a, a great, um, a great bit of advice. 
he says, your children, he said, they'll never remember when you go to the sports days and the events and the shows and what have you, but they'll always remember when you don't. <laughs> yeah, true. And it's a great bit of a you know one bit of advice. I hope I can take forward. It's not all about me anymore. Well, look, Andrew, that was absolutely brilliant. It's a, it's a, a great insight into your your life. Um, I mean, where where do you go from here now? Well, what's what's next? I mean, just carrying on the same the, the media work. Yep, I enjoy it, uh, Ad. I enjoy the media work. I enjoy. Um, I'd like to say putting something back in. Yeah, um, I do a little bit of work from the Boeing brothers. Um, I enjoy watching the way they're progressing. You, you know, whether you call it a mentoring side of things. Yeah, yeah. And I, it take, gives me a lot of pleasure to see to see them doing well. Yeah, uh, yeah. they're very keen, very dedicated, and um, I'm sure they've both got big futures ahead of them. So it's. You know, and I'm sure I'll continue to work for, you know, do other bits of work for other people as well in that respect. So, yeah. you know, besides my media work, it's um, it's it's good to see other people progressing and doing well. So you're keeping out of trouble. That's the main thing. <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying. I'm told I'm very trying at times. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Very in interesting uh, talk, and you know. It, it gives us a, a completely sort of different pr perspective of, of what it's like to be a jockey. So thanks for that. And, um, yeah, no doubt we should be talking to you again at some stage. Thank you very much. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio.